Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. The goal of our pods are to give our followers a taste of how great the game of hockey is here in Minnesota. Speaking of great, check out the Minnesotan, a cool and authentic apparel shop concept, which is one of the kind, 100% unique to the marketplace. You can visit their flagship store seven days a week in historic downtown White Bear Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we sit down with Sean Moline, Centennial High School's new girls coach. We get to learn about Sean's playing career and how he got involved with coaching, some of his coaching influences, and his vision for the Cougars coming up next season. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, Mr. Moline. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Tony? I'm doing great. Uh, we go back quite a ways. Uh, in the early days of Youth Hockey Hub, you were coaching Bantams at Andover with a girl goalie named Maddie Rooney. And now we fast forward 10 years. You're coaching with Maddie Rooney at Centennial High School. And you've had quite a wild ride the last 10 years in the youth hockey business, haven't you? Yeah, it's been uh it's been a journey for sure, but yeah, I I we, I was able to get Maddie Rooney to join me on the staff and and the girls are are already super excited about it. So that's a a great pickup and you know, hopefully she can get some good experience with me uh moving forward as a coach. We'll get to those 10 years here in a minute, but before we do that, let's meet who Sean is and where you grew up, where you played hockey, and, and a little bit of your playing background, some of your coach, some of the kids, got, when you were a kid, who coached you and that kind of stuff. So how did you start playing the game? Where, was it the backyard? Was it just some neighborhood buddies? Uh, I know you had an uncle who was a great hockey player, Todd Norman, uh, but, but how did you really get in love, fall in love with the game early? So I grew up over uh, kind of near the east side of St. Paul and uh, Maplewood, and there was a rink right behind my house, and I don't really remember exactly. I, I, I've seen pictures of me wearing these old-fashioned skates and all bundled up, and we would go in the back. Uh, there was a pond back there, and I skated a bunch outdoors, and that was probably when I was three three years old, and you know, just started playing. Then I started playing at the Roseville uh, Roseville Association. I had a coach, J.R. White, and who's since passed away, but he was a great guy, and and uh, he was one of my favorite coaches growing up. Uh, was this Mites uh, or maybe Squirts Peewees? This was when my first year of Squirts, which was an in-house Squirts. Yep. So I was on the red team, and we would play all the different Roseville in-house teams, and um, and then you know progress through Roseville. Uh, no. Yeah, we were, but, but we would play a lot just to add to the point about the outdoor rink. We played, uh, there was a pretty good culture in Roseville playing outdoors. We played a lot at the fire barn, uh, in little Canada there. And there was a rink at the, the middle school and there was, you know, I'd say seven or eight really well-maintained rinks. And then eventually as we got a little older, they built the oval, the John Rose oval, and we would spend pretty much every Saturday and Sunday and, you know, all throughout the week playing, at the John Rose Oval, which I think uh, was a pretty big thing for the group of kids I grew up with. Uh, I remember Steve Sertich or Marty Sertich used to have a, 
a rink right in his backyard and there was a tree right in the middle of the, really? of the rink. And then I think that was how he used to learn how to stick handle so well as he used to fake out the tree. So many great players in Roseville. I mean, so many. And, and, and yeah. not just boys, but girls. Like, I believe uh, your youth team growing up always had a, a Broat or a Curtain on it, which is no surprise. You had Chelsea and Renee Curtin, Chelsea Broat and Renee Curtin. What was it like having girls on your team when, when girls' hockey wasn't as plentiful as it is today? Yeah, it, you know, I, 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 I didn't really think anything uh, of it. You know, I think back then there weren't as many options for girls to play, you know, girls hockey. So it was just normal that you'd have some of the best girls playing on the boys teams. And, and Chelsea and Renee were very good and, and were able to keep right up with the boys. So they, uh, you know, they were really great players. I mean, there has to be a ton yeah. of history there when you think about the Brote family in, in Roseville and, and the Curtin family in Roseville. And you're living right in the middle of it. Did you realize at the time when you were a kid, Squirt, Pee Wee, Bantam, that, that what an effect that those families would have eventually on the, the landscape of Minnesota hockey? Yeah, well, when we when I was growing up, Roseville became the powerhouse, the first big powerhouse of girls hockey. So it was it was probably bigger in some ways than the boys program. I mean, they you know, they had the best players and they, you know, were very successful. And so it kind of put girls hockey on the map. Uh, And then when I first got, you know, started coaching at the Super Inc and running my Raging Bulls program and different things, I think that was right when OS uh, started started up so I, I've been kind of around it you know from the from the beginning days another player that you played against not necessarily with was Christy Wendell she was about your age uh what was it like did you know who she was I mean maybe because the Little League World Series kind of thing or or no, you, we knew who she was you knew she, right she was a rock star it was like Elvis yeah. in the building wasn't it well they uh they had a really good team uh Brooklyn Park and we played them, you know, quite frequently. And, and she was, she was very good. And I, and I, and I may not remember this correctly, but I, I think she played for them in Bantams as well, but I know that she was, you know, very physical and able to, you know, compete right with the boys. And, you know, so I do remember that. <laughs> so your youth program, uh, as you got older, you got pretty big, pretty fast in, 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 13, 14 years old, you started playing for the 82 Blades. And I bring it up because there's a lot of great names on that team, uh, including like Ben Eves, you know, Mike Eves' son, uh, JP, uh, Jordan Parisi, JP Parisi. I mean, these are like legendary uh, coaching figures that are in the rink, in, on the bench, coaching you. Um, uh, and then you had two two clowns from uh, Lake of the Woods come down and play with you, Johnny Weibel and Keith Ballard. What was it like to have you know guys of that stature uh, in the locker room with you when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I think back, some of my best hockey memories were from that time. You know, some of the travel trips. Uh, you know, having them come down and stay at our house and and all the different, you know, made a lot of good friends there. And, and, you know, JP Parisi was probably one of my best, you know, favorite coaches, you know, his personality was legendary and he was such a great, genuine guy, uh, funny guy with a great accent, but 
um, you know, I just, I just remember, I can still remember all the different times we were at the hotels and whatnot and going to different landmarks in Canada and stuff. And honestly, that's some of the type of stuff that I, I kind of enjoyed watching some of the girls that I coach in the summer and stuff like that do, because I just, I know it's such a, you know, it's just such a great life memory, but yeah, it was a great time. Some great people on those teams went on to, to do some great things, but I just remember it as being a, a really good uh, experience as a kid, you know, with our family and, and that sort of stuff. So when you were, when we talking about blades, you were playing youth all-star hockey, traveling to destinations, playing against great teams. Now you do the same with team Minnesota. Uh, you, you grab a girl's 08s or 06s and you'll take them to Boston or Toronto or Rochester, New York or something like that. Is that yeah. part of your plan when you take these girls to these locations? Sure. It's winning, but you gotta kind of build in a little Niagara Falls. You got to build in the Boston Tea Party. You got to build in some cultural stuff there on top of the hockey, don't you? Yeah. To be honest with you, that's the main reason that I I find you know value in those things. It's it's not necess- It's really really good hockey, and it's you know you know can be good for exposure as they get older. But to be honest, it's. A, you know, playing awesome hockey with some great teammates in a great location and with your family and doing fun things. I know last uh, year with our 08 team, we went to Niagara Falls with three of the families and went out on the Maid of the Mist. And, you know, I just know that those types of things are, you know, just super memorable. And, you know, it's, I usually say, like, if you are going to go on a vacation, may, you know, make it a hockey vacation and and do these sorts of things, you know, because it's going to be, it's, it'll be awesome, you know, and yeah. So in high school, uh, you, you went to Hill Murray actually your freshman year and went back and, and, uh, stayed true to your community in Roseville, had some good years there. Uh, but ironically enough, both your junior and senior year, you lose heartbreakers to Hill Murray. What was that like? It's kind of, there's a kind of a little bit of what if had I stayed moment. Did you have any regrets there or was it, you know, you're pretty, pretty happy staying in Roseville? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's just to go through it a little bit, you know, my family, you mentioned my uncle went to Hill Murray and, you know, there was a little bit of a, you know, a, a pull to try to see if that would be a better place for me. But, you know, I was still playing Bantam hockey with all, you know, all my friends and, and it ended up being that I was, I would say it was kind of like being homesick, right? <laughs> you know, I was kind of homesick and, and I was still, I was getting it in my ear at Bantam practice and stuff about, uh, you know, how I was, uh, you know, leaving and, and that sort of stuff. So I ended up going back. Um, and I don't, I don't, you know, regret anything. And, you know, I, I remember those losses were very hard. I can still remember when in the junior year, when the men were, the men in the locker room were, you know, pretty upset and crying. And, you know, because we, we had some really good teams and part of the, thing with the the people crossing over is is like you kind of said it's like those our teams were so close and there was kids you know people coming back and forth between hill murray and roseville and all these different places and it's just like it's like one player could tip the yeah. scale <laughs> to to having roseville you know and you know and that was that was a hard part but you know we had a really good good group of uh guys and we were a a good team. I remember at the old Coliseum building, we pat, you know, they had to turn the people away. It was just packed to the, 
when that place is packed to the rafters, it's a pretty cool uh, place to play in. It is quite the spectacle. Playing with Marty Sertich must have been uh, quite the thrill. Did you know at the time that you were playing with such greatness, or did you think maybe, or he maybe kind of developed later in his career? No, he was a phenom from when he was really, really little, and he always just had insane just hockey IQ hockey awareness and, and hands and I, I think you know his dad helped him out a lot he was a member of the 1976 uh, Olympic team and he I'm sure he was able to teach him a little bit about the game and, and that sort of stuff growing up but he was a, a you know phenomenal athlete and to be honest he was also a really you know great person I, I was able to coach with him I, you know reconnect with him at at gentry when yes. i was at gentry so i was able to kind of you know reminisce with him a little bit about everything but you know honestly if there's one thing that most people that know marty they know that he's one of the nicest people <laughs> you'll ever meet you he, and he'll never <laughs> say a bad word about anyone like he's very very a very genuinely good person it's funny yeah. i i had to add yeah. his name to the list when we get to gentry later on in, the, in this segment because yeah. it's like we wrote down yeah. all these guys that were somewhat influences on you in the way you know, from maybe from a skill development uh yeah. and personal development a little bit but we'll have to add marty's name to that list when we get down yeah. to to that one so mm-hmm. um i want to go through your your college career you played at, at bethel and mm-hmm. some 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 magical things happen in your life there uh yeah i think mm-hmm. some Somewhere early in your life, you said, "No way would I ever go to Bethel," which is kind of like the, the you know the ultimate wink, right? Because mm. it's kind of the, the ultimate God wink, like, "Oh, really? You think so?" And God kind of puts you in a place, and Pete Oss, uh <laughs> made friends with your mom, and then kind of the rest yeah. is history, getting you there and 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 yeah. really helping you develop in your faith. For sure, for sure, and I, you know, that was probably one of the turning points, you know, in my life, and I. <laughs> I don't say that it's uh, it's turned me into a saint or anything like that, but but it, it's it's gotten me to, to be on the right path and, and journey. And and so basically, just to, to elaborate and go into the backstory, when I was going to go into you know potentially playing juniors or going to college, I got I was re- being recruited by a few D three schools, but Bethel. Pete Oss kept calling my mom. He must've called her every day. And, and my mom really liked Pete and thought that it would be good for me, um, to go to Bethel. Um, and so, you know, I, I took up a meeting with Darren Thompson and Josh Halji. I remember it was at Fuddruckers over in Roseville and we sat and, you know, I'd heard all about you know, how strict Bethel was and you couldn't dance and, and they had all these rules and right. all these things. And, and I asked them about them and they're, you know, they, they told me about it and, and they were good, good. But I went, I, that was when I went home and told my mom, I will never go there, which is funny because I don't know how my heart changed, but in a matter of probably months, I was, you know, sort of became accepted it and was, good with it and then once i got there i was just blown away you know bethel is is an amazing place and just a great community and for me i was kind of at the point where hockey was becoming more secondary and i i enjoyed playing it and i was a good player there and and that sort of stuff but i was really interested in learning you know going to college and and meeting people and 
and learning about my faith, like you said. And I read some really good books and I talked to some really good people. Um, and then I was able to sort of make that decision. And, and actually, I became a young life leader <laughs> all throughout college with uh, Kirk Foote was a mentor of mine. He ran the Youth Young Life program in the North Metro there. And I spent summers actually in um, Detroit Lakes has a as a camp called Castaway. Yep. And I spent the month there and then I spent the month at a camp called Trail West in Colorado um in Buena Vista, Colorado in the Collegiate Peaks. So you can look that up and then I also the next summer was in Virginia for a month at a camp and then I went to a place called Timber Lodge near Grand Rapids, Michigan uh at a camp up there but so those are some of the, the greatest memories. And, you know, just like any person, you know, learning about God and, and faith in their college years, you know, it's been a thing of learning and learning from mistakes all the way through, you know, and, I, and yeah. I'm glad, you know, it's been, it's kind of something where it, it hasn't made me a perfect human. And I think that's the point. It just made me sort of uh, deal with my flaws and try to pray about them, work on them. And, you know, gratefully you know i've kind of made it to a solid place in my life now with a family i have a six-year-old daughter and uh, i just had a boy it's a one-year-old boy river and peyton is the girl and she plays at blaine hockey and goes to mckinley and my wife ashley and we got a house in ham lake but you know things start to settle down and you know actually you know life it gets you know pretty uh there's always hectic stuff going on trust me especially right now but but it's pretty uh, rewarding. We'll just say that. Um, so let's talk about these camps. So you you work these summer camps uh, while yep. in college. Is this yep. the time in your life you're like, hey, I want to affect some change on, on young people, and and I and I've had a good connection because a lot of people go to college and they want to go uh, into business or they want to go into some other type of role in the in the world. Youth immediately knew that at some point it must have hit you like, Hey, I want to work with kids. Well, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it and I definitely gravitated towards it. Um, and I loved to travel. So that was part of it. I loved traveling. Some of it to be brutally honest was to kind of get away from the summers and the distractions and some of the, you know, uh, things that you can get trapped into being around with friends in the area and things like right. that. So it allowed me to kind of go away for the summer, which I think was really good for me. Get me out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, I've always, and that's kind of the funny thing with coaching and working with kids is it's never like I went and set out and said, Hey, I want, that's what I want to do for my life. Like that's my ultimate goal. I just started doing it. I started doing things like that and I started coaching and I, you know, showed an aptitude towards it and enjoyed the competitive aspects of it. And I just kind of have evolved into different things and I've just stuck with it. And, you know, it's kind of stuck to me, you know, it's, it's never been this grandiose long-term <laughs> vision. It's just uh, something that I have kind of fell into and has been good for me. It's a pretty pretty wild ride of players that you've uh, been associated with. When we get through at this show, someone who's listening who doesn't know who you are is going to be pretty impressed, I think, when they find out that you had Blake Lazote, who's now in the in the NHL on a, a what's it called the Raging Bulls? Is that your team? Oh yeah, it's a blast from the past. The Raging Bulls. Right? This is a kid that didn't really he really wasn't one of the top players, and now he's in the NHL. And how many ninety sixes are 
are done with college hockey or are still toiling in college hockey, and he's playing in the NHL. You, are you surprised by that? Well, he was always a really, really good player and really skilled. He was very, he was smaller. Yep. Um, but you know, it's a it's a testament to just the fact that you just don't know. I mean, there, I've had a number of players uh, like that through the years that uh, that you wouldn't have, wouldn't have pegged when they're younger to be the best as when they get older. And it just you know, and I've seen. And I think that's one of the things that, from my vantage point, you kind of learn is. Uh, that you just don't want ever want to, <laughs> you just don't ever want to just uh, assume or or to act like you're the one that's going to make it when you're Kiwis or you know it's it's fun to enjoy the ride and to yeah. you know, have fun and, and that sort of stuff, but you just never know what's going to happen from year to year. And you you know a lot of times some of those kids that weren't the superstars when they're younger, they really work at it really really hard and they, they you know they try to chase some of the people that were the stars and, and they end up, you know, maybe passing them up towards the end. But, um, yeah, for sure. Blake was that. that's a funny, uh, you know, he, he played, uh, with the 97 raging bulls for, I think one season, but, uh, but definitely he was wearing the Jersey. <laughs> were those, were those yeah. raging bulls teams part of your employment at, uh, the super rink or did that no, propel you was- into the super rink job? Yeah, so basically this was before I worked at the Super Inc. And sort of what led me to the Super Inc. was uh, the honest story is that I was kind of done kind of at that age. I was in my early 20s, and I just I was kind of done running a whole program by myself. It, you know, you, you kind of, uh, when, you, when you start doing it, you realize just how, all the different aspects to it and the financial aspects. And I just wanted to go work for somewhere, you know, where I had people to work with and wasn't fully responsible for the, right. you know, the money aspects. And so I ended up getting a job with Roger Stosky and, and Pete Carlson and Rob Loftus. And then I started working with Miracle Gold and, and I was doing different camps and clinics like adult skills in the West Minnesota Wild West Walls School. And we started a camp, day camp called. Uh, oh, it's still uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. We would do golf and all the different activities and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, next level is called next level. But uh, yeah, so I did that for four or five years at the super rink and uh did miracle gold boys coached the 99s 2000s 01s and 02s teams and then i kind of switched over to the girl side so uh i want to get to the 2011-12 bantam team that you coached uh you lose your best player to the varsity is tyler vold and you're still somehow magically, uh, your only Division One player is gone now, and somehow magically you put together a pretty nice run with a great goaltender, Maddie Rooney. You get to the state semifinals against Edina, who ends up winning the state tournament. When you started the season in Lost Vold, did you have any clue that you guys would go, go that far? I think we were we were naive to you know too naive to think that we couldn't do it. So I think we just still had that plan and we had some really good players and we had a a really good team that played like a team and and it was very positive culture and and uh and they were just magical like that team was uh just they just could win the big games and 
we finally uh, lost uh, in the semifinals to Edina in overtime. But it was, you know, Maddie helped out quite. A, I, I think she might have had close to 40 saves in that semifinal game. And and she was a, a big part of it as well. But they, they just were, you know, the types of teams that just kind of have that magic uh, to them. And, yeah, it was a great experience. And, and they, they also, in Kiwis, uh, they made it to the state tournament there as well with Tyler Bolt. Uh, I remember uh, one of my, oh, that was the first year of Youth Hockey Hub was that year. Mm-hmm. And someone came up to me in a rink and said, hey, uh, I know you do Youth Hockey. At this point, there was no Tony Scott on the air. There was not, you know, I didn't really have a face, right? But someone mm-hmm. knew who I was or something. I said, hey, if you're going to write one story this year about anything, you got to write about this girl, Maddie Rooney from Andover. She's playing boys, <laughs> and she's the reason they're that good. So mm-hmm. I get in my car. You guys played Anoka. And I mm-hmm. bet I think Adam Sherritt was the coach at Anoka at the time, and I had no idea at the time ten years ago, nine years ago, that two of my best friends in the game, Sean Moline and Adam, are going head to head. But it was a great game, and they were a great team, and and so were you guys. And it was just a really fun environment watching District. It, I'd never been to District Ten until that day. That was kind of my baptism into what District Ten hockey was all about. Seventeen minute periods, and you know the the tournament and the you know the district tournament was just something special yeah for sure and and it's you know right at that time you came in i i remember and this is my you know little side story but before that all we had all anyone had was the uh hockey forums yes (laughs) yeah and before that it was like the let's play hockey that was it people arguing on the on the hockey forums and that sort of thing so i think I think getting the information from Youth Hockey Hub is is uh, probably a better way to do it after seeing some of that stuff go down. Well, yeah. When, when, once we put out the once we put out the rankings, you know, we had the now rankings. You could see everybody's scores. There was no fibbing. Yeah. You know, all everything kind of came to the surface. There was no no yeah. uh, anonymous backroom stuff. Yeah, I remember those yeah. days. It was yeah, a little yeah. it was a little weird. I was on those dead board. Frederick. Yeah, Frederick and the whole deal. Yeah. So the next couple yeah. of years, you coach Pee Wee's. And, and the reason I want to bring up these peewee teams is because these peewee teams are the ones, these Andover peewee teams that you were coaching uh, were are the ones that basically that were mm-hmm. played in the state tournament this year. And you, yeah. had, you had your fingerprints all over that team, which is interesting because then the next year, 15-16, you coached the 12As, which won the state tournament. So mm-hmm. just these last two seasons, uh, Andover finishing, I think, third or fourth last year mm-hmm. and then winning this year, and then and then their boys' teams with those crushing losses to Duluth and then, and then being the yeah. number one seed. You were right in the middle of all of those kids, whether it be mm-hmm. at the Super Rink and Miracle Gold or or at Andover and Pee Wee's. Uh, there's got to be a little – you got to puff your chest a little bit here with your involvement with these kids and the success that they had, both at the boys' and girls' level. Well, yeah, I just – you know, I I was grateful to, to be able to, you know, coach a lot of those great kids. And Andover was a really good up-and-coming program when I – got in there with, you know, some really good talent and, you know, they developed a really good culture on the boys and girls side. And, 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 uh, you know, I, it's great to see because I know that, you know, it's kind of like when I was at Roseville, it's kind of like, uh, especially on the boys side, you can't ever get over that hump and they finally made it. So it's, 
it's a, it was great to see those kids make, and they had a heartbreaking loss to St. Thomas, but you could tell that they were a really great, well-coached team. Yeah. Um, and the girls, you know, I mean, those are, <laughs> those are my girls and I've coached them and, and, you know, I, you know, I love them and, and they're, uh, you know, I, you just love to see them, you know, succeed. And the coach did a great job and, and, uh, they definitely play the right way. I mean, they play super aggressive and there's, you know, all over it and, and they have a lot high level of skill and they got three to four lines and six D and they're, they're goaltending and they, they're very deep and, you know, they're going to be tough to beat in the next five, five years, five years. Yeah. It's, so, it's but just it's crazy. It, it, it's something that gets built. You know, I mean, uh, takes time and takes a lot of different people, uh, you know, dedicating themselves to a lot of different, you know, organizing teams and, and building that culture from the association side. And, and it doesn't just happen necessarily overnight, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny. You talk about the culture, you know, uh, at Andover, and we're going to get to how to, how you can – replicate it you've been there you've you've seen the fingerprints you've seen the blueprints of all of this stuff that's happened at andover and i think it's a a, a pretty fruitful discussion you and i can have a candid discussion here i mean let's not yeah. kid ourselves there are there are lots and lots of girls hockey players that did not grow up in Andover who have moved, literally have moved their residents to Andover uh, yeah. and are very, having a big impact on Andover success. Um, without trying to, you know, you know, be the sleazy car salesman and, and try to build a program, you know, selling people to come to your program, I think you got a different philosophy on how to build a successful program at Centennial. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that it's it's a different world than it was twenty years ago, with regards to hockey. You know, you know, boys and girls, right? Boys and girls used to have a few people leave. Um, You know, it's always been around, but it's just increased in the amount. I think there was a record number of transfers last year in girls hockey. And the thing is, you know, there may be things that go on that are, you know, um, you know not above board, but I think mostly, I think what happens is, is that people want are attracted to a winning program with a winning culture. And I think that it's, it's really about, you know, if, if, if I'm at Centennial and I'm the coach, it's, it's about being attractive and, 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 but it's not about promoting, you know, it's, and so you want to make sure that you're ethical in everything you do, but at the same time, you just realize that you just want to be the one that's, you know, gathering instead of losing. Right. So you just want to, if, if somebody, you know, is looking for somewhere to, to go, then they may choose you, but ultimately you're building from the ground up, building a great culture. And, you know, it's a lot of work and it, you know, you really got to start like when they're in kindergarten and, you know, at Centennial, they have um, a recruitment director. And so we're going to really work on that to really just identify and do grassroots uh, stuff to try to make sure we have 25 to 30 kindergartners playing every year. And, and from there, you develop them. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's almost a, it's almost yeah. a more important position, that recruitment director, than the high school yeah. coach. I mean, granted, <laughs> if you have if you have a great yeah. culture and uh, yeah. people, once they get there, I mean, you can't just go recruit people if you don't have a, a good foundation for kids to learn the game and have some fun and have some great coaches and have some good things in place. Uh, but if you have that, it's a great peanut butter and jelly if you if you if you put it all together. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and obviously we're not recruiting, but it's a, uh, it's a, uh, for surely the way to do it. <laughs> All right. So yeah. let's go through. So we, I think one of the great things that you have here, I'm not speaking, uh, I'm not speaking for you, but You've been involved with Team Minnesota, which was kind of morphed out of Miracle Gold yeah. Girls uh, back six or seven years ago. Um, and the list of girls that have been involved in your program are somewhat impressive. I mean, and, and they aren't just they aren't just Andover girls. I mean, if you, you look, list the Andover girls, sure, there's there's tons of them there with Peyton Hemp and yeah. and Gabby Cross. Those are two obvious ones, but it kind of goes pretty deep with this Team Minnesota thing. Um, you talk about uh, Gret, you know Greta Branton, for example. That's a girl I saw play for Wyzetta this year, and Sloan Matthews. So you, you got a little bit of West Side flavor. Um, you have South Side flavor with Brenna Furman, and um, I mean, just so deep, so many great players that are Division One commits. Uh, yeah. How did how did you and Jason Hemp and, and Jay Lindsay? How did you build this thing from basically nothing? Well, you know, I would say that it's, you know, the very, very start of it had a lot to do with having a few really good players that played the right way and were attractive. And so you Sa- it would be like, that would probably be Sadie and Peyton would be the first ones, right? You got two D1 Minnesota commit type kids yep. and yep. you get them on Miracle Gold. The next thing you can make a couple sales calls for lack of a term and, and people are interested, right? Yeah. So we built a little bit, you know, part of it is... <laughs> is that we, you know, we're from the North Metro and a lot of the kids from the North Metro would go down and play for the machine. Right. And we wanted to create a North Metro program where people didn't have to drive down there. They could have something closer to home that was, you know, something competitive, comparable. Yeah. And so we were always cognizant of that and we got some people to buy into that sort of philosophy. And yeah, I mean, I think part of the beauty of, of, of summer hockey is you know, you definitely want to get the kids from your own association playing together. Yeah. But you also want them to get to know kids from all the different areas. I think that's the fun part of it. Um, so I think it's just kind of a mixture of those two things that, you know, kind of built it. And it, it just is where I think the key to, you've seen this a lot in, in, in all sorts of hockey, is having the right culture is so important where people feel good about where they're playing. You know, they don't allow some of the, the nonsense and things to sort of uh, disrupt the, the, the group and, and, and make it not fun or make the parents leave or whatever it is. We were able to sort of uh, create sort of that team, that sort of uh, positive culture. And I think that's sort of what attracted, you know, on top of having some really good players. I think they they kind of were attracted to sort of that part of it. Well, it doesn't hurt that you win almost every game you guys play, too, right? It doesn't hurt that when you go out and and play girls from Toronto and Boston and uh, all over the world that you guys have had a ton of success. Yeah, I mean, there that was the O three group was very good, and the O four group was very good, and the O fives and the O sixes and O sevens and and on down and. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think they, you know, what I think they did is I think they showcased how good Minnesota girls hockey is, because I think other than, you know, maybe Toronto, Canada and some of Canada, I think Minnesota is the top, you know, area for girls hockey in the world. And, you know, it, you know, you can just see it in, in, la- in, in last year's, um, 
World 18s. You know, UH, yeah, yeah. We had we had a few girls from our team on that team, and in, in quite a few Minnesotans, and and I think that's just a testament to you know to to girls hockey in Minnesota and some of those age groups. And I think you'll see moving forward, like next year, I think you'll even see more Minnesotans. It's going to get crazy. Like here's yeah. a girl that doesn't even, and she probably uh, plays nearby, but she was never involved in any of these big rock star teams. Danny Bergen. I mean, she just exploded last year. You know, she, had, you know, she makes yeah. the team and leads the team in scoring or was one of the top scorers. And she was an underager. She was an Oh four and she's playing For with sure. the Oh twos yeah. and Oh threes. It's so fun to watch. I I mean, a girl from Chisago Lakes, which which begins to tell you, as a yeah. as a as a director of, of hockey and, and girls hockey at Centennial, is a, there's a lot of hope there that it can turn around. It can turn around pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. You make the you know you you, you overachieve and you uh, develop and you you know like I said build a build a great culture and uh, you know you can't have unrealistic expectations but i think our expectation is that we can make the state tournament and and we want to make that our goal each year you know and uh that's you know how we're gonna do it but yeah back to the those those players and stuff you take a lot of pride in that and just seeing people from around the area from the different programs and from your program you know representing minnesota hockey on those stages it's pretty cool very cool yeah. um I want to go back. I didn't. I didn't touch on this. Uh, too, I want to elaborate a little bit more. It's the 2015-16-12A. Uh, you guys win a state championship. What was special about that team uh, over in Cottage Grove that day? I mean, I mean, it was like it just felt like that whole year was going to be Edina and Andover, and it turned out to be. What are your What are your recollections of winning state that year? Yeah, I mean that that team, that particular team. And Edina's team were some of the, I, I believe, and I've talked to others that have said this, are some of the best U12 teams ever to play. I mean, just from the depth and just the top-end talent, I think they're, you know, up there with some of the best U12 teams ever. And, and to be honest, I mean, throughout the year, uh, we did – very well against the rest of the teams. We did have a scare against Maple Grove, though. They had I was down. there. I the was region. there. Yeah, at Richfield. Against, yeah, that's against some other kid. You know, Tristana and and Lawrence Densley and their goaltender. I don't know who their goalie was, but she was hot as a pistol that it day. It might have been Casibo. Yes, uh, but yeah, they had us down. I think four to nothing, and we, <laughs> you know, I felt bad for them because they uh, they pretty much had us, and we found a way to fight back, but. Overall, we were very, you know, I would, the reason I brought all that up is I think we were very talented, but we had our match, you know, I'd say equal match and talent with Adina and it was a dogfight. I think they scored four, I want to say three, oh no, all three of their goals were power play goals because they had a really good power play and we had mainly even strength. I think we might add one shorthanded, but it was, you know, we played them all throughout the year. I think we won, went one, one and one. They beat us in the uh, Cake Eater uh, Championship, I believe. And so it was a great deal. And they're a great team. And um, their coaches do a great job. And it was that's a great memory. And and uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a, it was a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, high-end kids on that team. And, and we, you know, the main job coaching that team wasn't necessarily the X's and O's. It was more just trying to get them to all – 
you know, play team hockey because, you know, going against the Edina, they're going to do that. So if you want to beat them, you can't just be a bunch of individual superstars. You, you, you have to buy, everyone has to buy in and play a, a well-rounded game. Right. Yep. So during that season, um, you make a transition to go work at uh, Gentry Academy. Uh, your yeah. phone's breaking up for a second there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Interference. Okay. No, that's right. Um, and, and when you're working at Gentry, uh, you come in contact with, like, uh, you said it earlier, a grad school of coaches. And we, we mentioned Marty Surich, but uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Marty Surich, Joe Diedzik, Sean Skinner, Barry Carnes, Scott Bukestead. Uh, you and mm-hmm. Megan Pizan were kind of the program directors there. Uh, what did you think you were getting into when you're, when you're out there on the ice r- putting through – kids through the the pep program the pep program um and now you got you know 20 kids an hour that you're running stuff through did you see yourself as a hockey coach go to a different level from a skills development perspective yeah so you know i've always you know even it goes back to the ludak Bukac. i think i pronounced his name right but you know, he came into Miracle Gold a long time ago and ran all of his net drills. And you saw that stuff take off a lot in the North Metro and Andover. And you see that type of training all the time. And I was just, you know, I, I played Division Three hockey. I was a good player. And but I, I never have rested on my laurels as a player as that, you know, what I learned playing was going to help me to be the greatest coach in the world or something. Right. So, But so I've always taken a learner approach. Um, and so I've always wanted to try to find, you know, the, the best coaches and what they were doing and that sort of stuff. So when I heard that Sean Skinner was at the school, I was like, when can I get into this school just so I can just start watching and seeing and learning? And I think there's a lot of other people that <laughs> shared a similar, you know, interest in what he was doing. And, and so basically I was able to work with him during the first year. Um, now, Sean then, Skinner, just so yep. people get background, he is basically one of the three or four preeminent skills coaches in the world, and he's coaching kids at Gentry Academy for two two weeks on, two weeks off kind of thing. Didn't he do that for, yep. was it two seasons or just one? No, he was just there for the first year, okay. and he was there, like you said, it was a rotation, and then, like when you said me and Megan were the directors, we were kind of the... We were the lead coaches. We were in charge mainly of the kids uh, when he wasn't there. Okay. Um, along with Casey Rooney was there as well. And, wow. He's um, another good skills yeah. coach. But um, the uh, – I'm drawing a blank. Joe Dizik was also there. That was the next year. So, okay. Sean Skinner, yeah. But, Sean, you were asking about Sean Skinner. Yeah, I mean, he's he's come out with a lot of videos that basically go through, like, all of the – different ways of teaching different skills all throughout the world. And he's almost like an, you know, an encyclopedia of hockey development knowledge. And so I've watched the videos and that sort of stuff, but just, you know, seeing, you know, seeing how he does it, it's a, it's a different type of approach. Um, But definitely, you know, I don't do that type of approach all the time, but I like to do it once in a while and, and try to teach the kids some of his technical skills and, of stick handling and, and different things. And so, it's, you know, it's, I kind of look at it as different kind of tools in the tool belt or different approaches you can, because, you know, the more different approaches, the more 
you know, subject knowledge you can give to the kids, the more you can keep them interested and the more you can teach them. It was, a, I, I couldn't believe some of the programming that they had in there for in those first couple of years. Barry Karn, the skating instructor, Scott Bukestead, the shooting instructor. And then yeah. like two years in, then they brought in the Power Edge Pro program, which is like, if you don't grasp this, this is like, there, that's like a, the, one of the more preeminent skill development programs in the world, and they charge an enormous fee for their program, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a big mm-hmm. deal, right? Yeah, they don't sell their equipment. They, you have to lease, lease it. it. Like yeah. A, you know, I don't, say, I don't know exactly the number, so I won't say, but it's, right. a, it's a decent amount. And, and then you have to pay that year to year. Then they'll send you the equipment, and you'll use it. Um, but the stuff's really, really cool. And, and the thing is, you know, we've all skated around cones our entire lives to the point where we're probably bored skating around cones. So it gives you a more dynamic sort of uh, environment so you can jump over, put it under. And it's really good as, as I watch the kids at Gentry do it for multiple seasons. You could tell a Gentry player from a, a different type of player almost. You could you could tell that they're just the amount of stick handling and the amount of that type of stick handling they did. They just, you know, the skill level went off the charts. And you look at Chaz and Cruz, I mean, they've been doing that stuff for many, many years and and you just can you can you can see the the, the effect the training has on the kids. So I want to I want to talk about that for just a second. So I had yeah. um, I got a good friend of mine in the, in the hockey business uh, coach at uh, St. Cloud Tech Apollo Boys yep. is a guy named Pete Matnich, and Pete is mm-hmm. a loves PowerEdge Pro, and he mm-hmm. says you know Tony a lot of the kids who come into St. Cloud Tech Apollo aren't the most skilled players, so we have to teach and reteach and teach and reteach these skills. And he, yeah. like, he swears by this program, and he goes, the skill level that we get our kids from from November to February, it's it's night and day. Do you, do you expect to bring some of that into Centennial? Not PowerEdge Pro exactly, but some type of skills-based stuff where the yeah, girls are going to get mean, better? Let's- I think I'll just recall when I worked at, at, at Total Hockey at the Herb Brooks Training Center and Dean Talfus, when he was training me, you know, said they did a study in the NHL. And it's sort of this counterintuitive study because they said they tested their skills throughout mm-hmm. the season. And they found that at the end of the season, their skills had regressed. Not Really? Not, yes, not progressed, but regressed. And you think, how is that even possible? when you're playing in the NHL was because they, they aren't probably able to practice. They probably don't get the repetitions. They're probably not, you know, getting the same skill work throughout the season that they, you know, maybe they did in the off season or at the beginning of the season. So I think that, you know, for me, it's about high tempo. It's about skills development. It's also about teaching the kids. You'd be amazed at how many kids make it through to higher levels that never really learned how to shoot properly. Right. Or, or don't know how to pass or catch a pass or, you know, so it's just, you know, I try to just kind of, you know, do a comprehensive program that sort of, uh, sort of shows things that they may be lacking and then you work on it. So, and, and the power edge pro is, you know, one of the best things about it is the kids really enjoy it. And so they're going to work harder and, the, and it's challenging. You know, that was what I, that was my takeaway. It's like, okay, yeah. now try that on one foot. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, you've mastered the skill. Now do it and make it more difficult. So it was kind of trying new things, getting kids uncomfortable was the way my takeaway with PowerEdge Pro. 
Yeah, I remember there was, you know, I, I had the equipment out and, and my cousin, Ryan Norman, who ended up playing for the Gophers and a few other kids like that came out. And I was thought they were just going to breeze on through it. And I put them through the paces and they're running into the things and, <laughs> and crashing into them. And, and that's, and you'll put, you know, very good players through it. And they'll Meanwhile, Cruz is nine years old and he's yeah. dancing through it like no big deal. Right. Exactly. So you definitely pick it up and, and, and while you're picking it up, you, you increase your, you know, skill aptitude, skill. right? It's, yeah. it's skill aptitude. And I think that's yeah. a big part of, uh, if you're going to beat Andover in conference play, or you're going to beat some of these teams, Blaine, your rivals, you need to be more skilled. And, and I think skill development has got to be one of the you know, foundations of what you're doing at, at Centennial at the high school level. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, the thing that I look forward to the most about the high school level is you're going to have so much dedicated time with your players. I mean, even in youth hockey, your practices are all over the place. They're at night, 850 at night. And, you know, and, and that's actually pretty good to the summer when you got different kids coming here and there and they got other sports and they have other commitments. So the nice thing is you'll be able to take them through the actual full full system and, and have lots of time to see that full progression. That's kind of like at Gentry is you're able to see the full progression because you're working, you know, day to day. Now some might argue it's too much, which I think you have to always keep an eye on that. But the thing about it is, is that you are getting consistent skills development. day, you know, Day after day. You're going to have that. You you get your SDP is like, a, it's like a month, maybe five or six weeks of SDP. I don't know if that'll be shortened this year, but you're going to be able to really build a foundation of skill development before you actually play your first game or have your first tryout, correct? Well, we're waiting to see what, you know, I think the ice rink got pushed back one more week because they're doing a project at Centennial. So I think now it's June uh, 22nd so that, you know, we'll have, I think, uh, six weeks right six weeks but uh definitely we have an sdp program uh it's going to be two days a week we might add a few extra sessions towards the end to make up for the week that we're missing but uh no i'm super excited about it um and we'll definitely be doing that stuff i think maddie rooney is going to make it one of the days of the week and then my cousin rebecca zarembinski will be there the other day and we'll follow the social distancing guidelines yeah and make sure we have only you know we're gonna have 15 players and then two to three coaches and a couple goalies to stand to the 20 and uh, i i I experienced it for the first time today i was uh out watching actually oddly enough i was at an os practice in in at the super rink and then we went to map over in mendota heights and then we went to bramar and checked out some rinks and it is definitely different The, the i don't know about the social distancing i'm not even sure i hate to say this i'm not sure that's even possible to to accomplish but you can definitely accomplish the 10 uh the 10 skaters on each side of the rink but uh, as far as keeping them socially distanced it's almost impossible in hockey don't you think a little bit yeah yeah and it'll be interesting to see you know the the ways in which they watch and police those types of things because it'll be <laughs> super hard to do and you'll see people testing the waters and that I'm not stuff. and again but, I'm not saying but, let's line up the nets in the scrimmage <laughs> I'm just saying running a drill in hockey a lot yeah. of it has to do with being closer than 6 feet and I'm not I'm not could say yeah. I'm not no, telling and, the world and, and to go out there the and break rules falls. what if the kid falls down and uh, you, there's unpredictable uh, aspects to it you know right. it's not 
Totally. It's a chaotic environment. I think you're going to get uh, have to get creative in, in running your drills, but I think a lot of that pep stuff that, you're, that we've been talking about is very conducive to social distancing. Yeah, for sure, and that's what I've mainly been doing for the first practice here. And, and the kids, you know, from what I've seen, the kids have been super excited to get back on the ice. Um, they, you know, even if they're doing stuff that normally you might think they would think is boring, like skating drills, I think right now they're just glad to be, uh, doing, doing some Something. activity outside of their. Absolutely. Their <laughs> All right. So let's, let's build on it. So we are lucky youth hockey is lucky to have you on because I know a lot of the people, uh, in the youth, in the youth program and the high school program Centennial haven't met Sean Moline. So they've gotten yeah. a chance to get to know who you are a little bit, but let's talk about like, this is kind of like your, your first meeting, you know, like you, yeah. you know, you're, this is almost your PowerPoint presentation to talk a little bit about your values and, and, and what Centennial look like when they're playing well and that kind of stuff. So let's, mm-hmm. let's look to the future. Let's what's, what's the cultural values that uh, you want to build uh, at, at Centennial and, and how you might be different than, than the average coach. Or actually, let's just put it this way. What is it that the uh, athletic director found in you uh, that's special and what you're going to be doing at Centennial in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think that, you know, some of the stuff I learned at Bethel, you know, in my in the master's program, you know, I've really tried to incorporate just as far as leadership, uh, you know, just the way I view leadership is just to really put in the extra work to sort of get to know the players and get to know their strengths, get to know how they work, how they learn. I mean, that's that's the essence, I think, of being a leader. And the thing is, it takes a little extra time and effort for sure. But I think that's one of the hallmarks is just to, you know, get down on their level, talk to them on their level and not, to, you know, not to sort of be above them and, and to where they're sort of intimidated by you or whatnot. You know, that's probably one of my first things. And, that, and, and you know, what's that? You, you talked to me before the show and it was something I, I want to it's a little bit uh, Christian here. So speak mm-hmm. truth, the speak the truth in love. You said that a couple different times. Elaborate mm-hmm. a little bit on that and how that works with your coaching. Yeah, well, I just think positivity and and you know you know communicating in positive ways is so important. I just I think about different hockey teams and different things that I've been a part of and how toxicity and uh, toxic culture can can really make it very miserable, right? <laughs> and a very miserable experience. So honestly, if it's going to be something that we all choose to do as our activity and we're going to spend so much time together. We're going we're gonna to treat each other well, but that doesn't mean that we're going to just ignore certain things that need to be said either. So we're also going to be able to tell each other, to tell the coach if there's something that they need to get across to me or if I need to get across to them or if they want to get things across to each other, that there's a certain way to speak, and that's to speak the truth in love. So honestly, it sounds kind of like... Uh, it's kind of mushy, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, for hockey, but... But that's kind of more, honestly, I'm a little unconventional in that way where I just, I, 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 I think that it should be a loving environment to a point where I think it should be an enjoyable environment. Now, that's not to say it's not going to be stressful at time. You know, you know, there's going to be hectic or, or there's going to be times when, you, you know, you don't get, get along, kids don't get along and have to deal with conflict. But if you can try to try to implement that as, as the way that you, 
communicate with each other. You're going to get, you're going to get, uh, through a lot, a lot of things. So, so we talked before the show about, uh, the gate, you know, life is bigger than hockey. Is that another one of your foundations? Yeah. To be honest with you, I, you know, I love hockey, but I kind of love it for different reasons than just the pure sport of it. Like, uh, you know, I love the competitive aspects of it, um, but I, I, I love it as a developmental tool for uh, just just all the different things it teaches you, uh, you know, how to work hard, how to be disciplined, how to, you know, work together in a hectic environment with teammates. You know, like I like we talk about how to communicate with each other, especially in a hectic environment. You know, all the different things that you have to do to be successful as a hockey player, you know, in, in girls hockey, the pinnacle is, you know, goes from high school to the, hopefully if you can make division one and then a few people can play, you know, you know, Olympic hockey or professional hockey too. Um, so that's awesome now, but, but still there's less people doing that than there are that are done say after high school or whatnot. Right. And, and it's all about what, are, what are you going to be after that? And, and, and the time that we spend together can be more useful than just hockey. It, it can be, you know, so, you know, life altering. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's the gist of that. All right. And then last but not least, um, you, you talked to me about, um, uh, how you're going to adapt to playing your opponents. Uh, you're not going to be just rigid on one specific system. Uh, walk through that uh, methodology. Yeah, I mean, there's different uh, sort of philosophies. You even see this in professional sports where you have certain uh, coaches that are more, we're going to do play our game. We're going to stick to our system. You know, this is who we are as a team. And then there's, teams that are a lot more adaptable and I and and the best example I can give to you of an adaptable team is the New England Patriots and so they have their systems they have their things that they do but the thing is is that when they go play an opponent you'll be shocked to see that one time they might run the ball 50 times and then the next game they'll pass it 50 times and that's just because they've done a good job scouting the other team and they're able to exploit their weaknesses and they're not just going to say they're one type of team or another type of team. Now, with that being said, you have your certain profile as a team with your strengths and you definitely want to play to your strengths, but you want to also want to exploit the opponent's weaknesses and that, you know, and, and also there's, you know, different chess moves throughout the game where they may start moving in a different direction and you counteract that and things. And there's a game within the game. And so I think that in, in today's game, I think it's important to be, uh, you know, for me, for my teams to play that way. I think you can stay one step ahead of your competition. And if people, if other teams are unable or unwilling to adapt, it makes them, I'd say a, an easier opponent. So, Let's go back. Um, let's let's paint a really beautiful picture. Um, you were involved in the Andover program, and and let's just say we could fast forward five years from now, uh, mm-hmm. six years from now, and you're centennial. Centennial. No, no, and now Centennial has become okay. becomes Andover, right? Where okay. kids are moving there from, you know, you name it, you know, and uh, you are the preeminent program. 
right, in, in the state, right? People are moving there, and you're building girls, and there's great girls hockey being trained and played there. It's the dream program, right? What is what does it look like? What does Centennial look like? Uh, what type of team is your ideal team to play? Are you super aggressive? Are you a skilled team? What what do you guys look like? Does it look like Andover is now, or is it? Is it looks. What is Sean's ideal team? Yeah. So I mean, some of it is laid into the things that I said before. A lot of it's cultural. A lot of it's being a place that people enjoy being there, and they and they are respectful, and they and they do things the right way. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the way the youth coaches teach the game, and uh, you know things are age appropriate, things are positive, you know, you know, and it's a it's a winning culture, but it's a good culture. People keep playing hockey; they don't quit playing hockey because they don't enjoy it. Um, so those things are important. People want to play hockey for the team because they know that the hockey is really awesome in that area. So they're going to start playing when they're younger. Um, you know, when they get older, hopefully they've learned, you know, some great hockey concepts. They've developed their skill, um, but they've learned the intangibles of playing team hockey. And, you know, about Andover, I know one thing is when they were all the way growing up through all the different coaches, you know, uh, Steve Little, uh, Tim Nelson, all the different coaches. The work ethic was at the top. You know, there's a few different programs where just the expectation is just the work ethic. And Andover had that, where they're practicing hard. They're playing hard. I mean, that's that's what you need to have. And then you have to have self, selflessness. You know, you have, to, you have to build that culture. And thankfully, when we were we were in the uh, growing up with those kids. We had a few of the best players that played that way, which is, is such an important thing that your best players play the right way because then the rest of the people just fall play. in line. Yeah. So that is a, a pretty idyllic, idealistic scene. Uh, and I think you can pull it off. Uh, anything else you want to add about uh, your future tenure at Centennial? No, I'm re- I'm really excited about it, and I, you know we're gonna shoot for the moon, and and we have a great group of girls. I have a meeting with the with the captains here uh, soon, and we're gonna kind of go over. I'm just gonna ask them kind of what they see and what they want to see in their program. I think that's important too, is just trying to get some input from the actual players and what what they want to do and what they want to see. Um, I think that's one of the big things I'm gonna do in these first six weeks here. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it and, uh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do good. <laughs> well, I have no doubt you're going to do good, uh, at Centennial. I'm very excited to, to follow your trek there. Good luck, Sean. And thanks for spending time tonight. Yeah. Thank you very much, Tony. As part of today's show, Sean will get a gift from the Minnesota sent to him. Thanks to the Minnesotan again for their sponsorship of the pod. Make sure to stop in and check it out or jump online and enter the code TRADITION for free shipping for all YHH listeners. Thanks for t- tuning in today's show. We hope to see you around the rink soon.